We uh, used to sing an old hymn. We don't sing it that much anymore. It was entitled, Open the Eyes of That I May See. Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes. Illumine me. Spirit divine. And more recently, more currently, we sing the words, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. And both of those songs, old and new, are prayers. So, prayers that we sing to God, and it acknowledges something, and it recognizes that we don't naturally have 20-20 vision for the things of God. We don't naturally have 20-20 vision for the things of God. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Ephesians, wrote a prayer to them, or wrote of a prayer to them. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The scripture that I'm about to read of this very first Easter documents what I call spiritual myopia, spiritual near, nearsightedness, the, the, the inability to fully grasp the things of God without the help of God helping us to see, to open our eyes. Let me read from Luke's Gospel. An amazing story. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now that same day is Easter, the very first Easter. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Jesus, the risen Savior, came alongside and walked with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still. Their, their faces were downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, they asked. About, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since he took, that this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us 
They went to the tomb early this very morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he, he gave it, he, he broke it and began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. But they asked each other, were not our ears burning within us while we talked with, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what he had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Wouldn't that be quite an experience? I've always been puzzled by that expression, though, that, that the disciples didn't immediately recognize Jesus. It's an odd thing, isn't it? They didn't immediately recognize Jesus. I wondered, did Jesus blind them to his presence? And if so, why? <laughs> it seems clear to me from how the narrative plays out that he was all about revealing himself to them. I've come to the conclusion, I believe that their inability to recognize Jesus was probably the result of their spiritual myopia, their spiritual nearsightedness. What do I mean by spiritual myopia? It's the human condition in which we struggle to see reality as God does. It is the human condition that we all are born with, in which we struggle to see reality as it is and as God sees it. i, I, I got to tell you, there's a worse condition that I want to tell you about. There is a worse condition, and it's spiritual blindness. And you got to hope you don't have spiritual blindness. It's not spiritual myopia. It's spiritual blindness, because we, we read in scriptures, in the book of Corinthians, these words. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, 
so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And some people will tell you that that is an incurable condition. Others would not. And we don't have time to talk about that today. Even though I know you'd like Because it's controversial. But we're not going there today. But there is spiritual blindness, which isn't spiritual myopia. You see, these guys weren't spiritually blind. Look what it says. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You see, they had an inkling. They could see, but they couldn't fully see. They had a condition. They had hoped that he was the one. They had hoped that he was the king of the Jews who was going to save Israel and make Israel the greatest nation on earth and, and that it would lead with just justice and truth and, and all the world would be a better place and Jesus, the, the, the king, the Messiah, would rule forever. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They were blind to the idea, even though Jesus had told them repeatedly, that Jesus did not come to be the king of the Jews. Jesus came to be the king of the kingdom of God, in which all of humanity can be a citizen. Whose credentials are realized through the death of Jesus Christ, so that as we accept Him as our Lord and our Savior, we join His kingdom. And that is the kingdom. That is a much greater kingdom than, 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 than a Jewish king sitting on the throne in Israel, in, uh, in Jerusalem. That is an eternal kingdom that trumps all kingdoms. That's why Jesus came. But you know, these two disciples aren't the only ones who had spiritual myopia. If we go down to John's Gospel, we read in verse 21 here, from, from that time on, Jesus began to explain in his, uh, to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He, he couldn't be more explicit. He couldn't be more clear. This is going to happen to me, guys. But Peter, <laughs> no, Lord, that ain't going to happen. No way. He took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have the mind or in mind the concerns of God. We could say this morning, because of this is what we're talking about, you don't have the eyes of God. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You've got spiritual myopia. John explains also that none of the disciples really understood Christ. The Christ, the Messiah. Why he came? He came to be the king of a kingdom that was built around conquering Satan and sin and death. 
We read later in John 12, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, only after Jesus was risen, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. And there it is. There is the antidote. There is the cure for spiritual myopia. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the antidote to spiritual myopia, which takes the scales off, and you start to see who Jesus is, that he is the Savior who has come to free us from bondage and from the dominion of sin and Satan and death and bring us into his kingdom of light. There we have it. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize, were their eyes open to these things. The resurrection is a real eye-opener. Once again, Jesus' reenactment of his last supper with his disciples, as he broke the bread, this is my body, was the trigger that began the healing of those two disciples' sight, so that they could see. When he, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him. A similar thing happened back in Jerusalem. We read, while they were still talking about this, this is the disciples, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. You see, a risen Savior, a, a risen Jesus, was not something that they could see because of the scales of their spiritual myopia. They couldn't see it. And as he appeared to them, he started to peel the scales away. They were startled. They thought it was a ghost. I mean, what else would you conclude? We're human. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And I just love this. It's kind of like tricks. He's starting to do tricks for them. Watch this. I'm going to eat. Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds. <coughs> Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open my eyes that I may see. He opened their minds that they could understand the scriptures. 
He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And of course, that's the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so the risen Lord, as he appears to them, and with their spiritual myopia, they're seeing a ghost. This is a ghost. And then Jesus starts to just peel it away, and they start to see. They start to open up their eyes. And then they start to understand. And Jesus starts to connect the dots for them. Remember those scriptures in the Psalms. Remember that that Psalm 53 that David wrote about a suffering servant. Who, who would be killed but not forever be dead, but would, would rise to life. Remember that. That's the scriptures. You, you, you've learned those since you were a kid. It's me. I am the Messiah. I'm the one. And it just turns their world upside down as they start to see as God sees. And they start to see this big plan of how minuscule and insignificant their initial hopes of a Jewish king would be. It's nothing compared to God himself taking on flesh living a perfect life so he would be the perfect sacrifice for sin, dying on a cross, taking upon himself all of our sin so that we could live eternally in the kingdom of light. Really? A Jewish king sitting on a throne in Jerusalem compared to that which has implications for the entire world? No comparison. The risen, glorified Christ was proof positive that Jesus had come to defeat sin, death, and Satan for us. And this is why Paul writes those words. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches God's grace, of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. He made known to us the mystery. It had always been a mystery. It was always kind of foggy. It was there. It was always there. But it was never clear. But then when they encountered the risen Christ, and Christ started connecting the dots, it became so clear to them. It became so clear to them. They bought into it so much that they, most all of them, died as martyrs for that truth. Don't tell me they were deluded. <laughs> don't, don't tell me they were confused. Nobody gives their life up willingly or dies a cruel, horrible death like these guys died. Nobody does that because, you know, I, I, I thought it, I made it up, and I'm going to stick to my guns. Really? No. They were convinced at the core of their very being 
of who Jesus was. Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, is the antidote. He's the cure. It's a spiritual myopia. They could now see and understand the gospel. But to close, I, I, want, I want to tell you that there's a much more significant and powerful truth. I don't see, no, that's wrong. It's not a more significant truth. It's an important truth. Uh, that we can't just leave it at the fact that our eyes have been opened to the gospel. Because in fact, our eyes have been opened to the gospel, but that is the beginning of a life of discovery. Of seeing things that we have never seen before. Of encountering God. Understanding ourselves, understanding the world. I mean, the world is such a confusing place. It seems like it's just out of control. But not when you see it with the lens of God. We're not immediately given 2020 vision, but because of the resurrection of Christ, because of what Christ did on the cross, we can see things as God sees them increasingly. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, For now we, have, we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so you get this idea that your spiritual myopia has been dealt with on the cross and your eyes have been opened, but you're just going to be led increasingly more and more into truth so that until one day you will see him face to face and there will be no myopia at all and you will have the big picture. That is the path that we are on as Christians. We have had our eyes opened, and increasingly, we have our eyes opened to the things of God. We still struggle to see, but why would Paul pray that prayer? Let me, let me read it again. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know these things, the hope to which he has called you. You know, sometimes I don't fully understand, I don't fully understand all that I have in Jesus Christ. But God will continue to open your eyes if you allow him to. He's opened your eyes to the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Did you know that you are a glorious inheritance? I know you're looking at me and you're saying, that dude is not a glorious inheritance. <laughs> no. I am. Because of you. And you are. We all are a glorious inheritance. In other words, God in us 
is a great thing. And as we have had our eyes open, we have our eyes open to the greatness of what can be amongst us. And God opens our eyes to the great power that we have. Do you, do you enjoy the power of God? Do you experience the power of God? He wants to open your eyes so that you will see the power that's available to you in Christ Jesus. So, because we're born into sin, we can't see as God sees. We have spiritual myopia. If we accept the gospel of the risen Lord, we can begin to have our eyes open to the glorious truths of God. And so this morning, this Easter morning, 2017, the question really is, the, we need to ask ourselves is, how's my eyesight? You might be blind in your unbelief. And I hope that something I've said this morning would help you see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may be content. And this is a sad thing. And many, many Christians are there. You may be content to only see a poor reflection. Because to, to open your eyes more fully would require more of you. And you just don't want to go there. So some of you are quite, and some of us would be quite content with our spiritual myopia. Learn to cope with our condition. But I'm hoping that you might be longing to see the things of God as they are. That you would appreciate more fully as He opens your eyes by His Holy Spirit. He opens your eyes to the things of God. My goodness, what a life of discovery that would be if we could simply pray every day, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. I, I want glimpses of you today. I, I'll tell you, the... The, the stories of the people that get those glimpses that we read in the scriptures. Like Thomas. <laughs> Thomas was the doubting one. We're all hard on Thomas. <laughs> Thomas was quite that. But anyways, Thomas, he had to see his hands. The marks in his hands. He had to see the marks in his feet. He had to. But when Jesus opened his eyes and he touched the hands not the side. I mean, probably he did touch his side. Touched his hand and his side. And the scales of his spiritual myopia fell off. He just fell and said, My God. That's all he could say. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Can you... I don't think that's just a story for a Bible. I, don't think, I think that's what we can expect. To have our eyes open so that all we can say is, My Lord and my God. This is what God wants for us. The resurrection can begin an incredible journey of sight. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this just incredible plan that you had and how over time you revealed it. It's all there. It was there from day one when you created the earth. It was there when, 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 when Adam and Eve, your, your first created humans, it, it was there. This, this whole idea that there would be a way for our sins to be forgiven and removed eternally and that we could have a wonderful relationship with you. It's, it, it was there through the days of, Mod and, uh, of Abraham and the, the days of Moses and, 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 and the prophets and the kings, the judges. It was there through the New Testament. It is here now. This wonderful truth of your saving grace. And so, Lord, this Easter, as we, I hope, pause to think about how we see things. Do we see things as God sees things? Or are we so entrenched in our thinking that if you walk through that door, we would think it's a ghost? Dear Lord, help us to see as you see. Open the eyes of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.